0: Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobenbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
1: Hello everybody and welcome once again to the show Made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives And today we're talking to an AFL umpiring great Shane McInerney umpired a record 502 AFL games between 1994 and 2019 Overseeing 26 finals and 2 grand finals One of the best decision makers the game has seen McInerney also umpired through some of the biggest changes in footy Across his 26 seasons with the whistle Shane, hello and welcome
2: uh, good morning, Sam. Uh, great to be here. Yeah, there are uh, a lot of numbers there.
1: There are a lot of numbers. It's great. Homework. it's great to talk to you. I mean, it, And it has been great to catch up with you from time to time on SEN. I, there's a lot less red tape involved compared to when you would have had the whistle involved in speaking with you. I mean, I wanted to ask straight off the top, do you, do you think the public would or could benefit more from hearing from the current umpiring group? I think communication to
2: all stakeholders I think is always pretty important. But mindful that when you're in the job you know you're you're walking that sort of tightrope as well because um, you know there's obviously a coaching philosophy mm. that the umpires need to uh, support. You know your own personal views on things you just leave them at the door because ultimately what, what the fans want what the players want and what the game needs is just a, a consistent outcome from umpires. So I, I think in that way you probably get a little bit of a cookie cutter type of response yeah. with the gross respect of I mean, there's a lot of great personalities, and I know there's a couple on this station that you use, but when it comes to getting into the nitty-gritty, you're probably going to get the rehearsed response.
1: And I probably shouldn't assume that they all want to do it either. I mean, I'm not sure what percentage are happy to stay in the background or some that would like to speak more.
2: Yeah, it's it's a pretty broad church umpiring. So yep. you've got your, very, uh, your extroverts, who I said are a feature sometimes on this station, uh, and then you've got those guys that are just happy to do their job on the weekend without any fuss, which which ultimately, I, I guess, was, was certainly a style of umpiring that I wanted to deliver on was, you know, not to, not to be on that Sunday footy show mm. article or in that Monday morning press article. Uh, that was always uh, a bit of a, a horror show for me. But as uh, so long as they were talking about the game and if they're talking about what a great spectacle it was and game flowed, then they were kind of like, the best sort of uh, accolade.
1: You mentioned the numbers and there are a lot of big ones associated with, with your name and your career because it spanned from 94 until 2019. I mean, 502 games, it's, a, it's an extraordinary number no matter what way you slice and dice it. And to think you didn't make a single mistake in that 502 <laughs> games is incredible as well. But to do it for that long, I mean, we, as we just touched on there, the scrutiny, the criticism, the ridiculously high bar we expect our umpires to uphold. I mean, does your longevity suggest that that doesn't take as much of a toll or was it a ongoing battle oh look I think it was just a case of just staying
2: in the moment Sam like everyone that umpires football particularly at the AFL level love football and love them and I think that um, that environment look that's just that's just the challenge and that's that's why guys can you know physically and mentally so long as they can uh, endure that um they'll they'll sort of uh, respond to that challenge I mean I I guess the thing that that, that made the experience great was the great highs but also the low lows. It's it's that range of emotions that think, well, what else am I going to be doing on the weekend? Mm. Playing golf? You know? I mean, it was just a, a, a great opportunity to be involved at Elite Sport at the highest level in Australian rules football in, in Melbourne. I mean, it's... It doesn't get any bigger than that, and and with that, you know, it it, it it does come that that sense of pride, and you know, there's a little bit of ego there as well. I mean, it's it's great to be out and about on the weekend and socially, and people want to come up and talk football and get your perspective on things. So it's it's nice how. Uh, but
1: that know. would work for you and against you, though. I'd imagine. Well, <laughs> it look, would have to, times.
2: Yeah, look. To, to be honest with you. Although I'm, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, I think people just love to sort of talk football. Yeah. I think, and I think that's one of the great things about sport in Australia when you compare it to see sport overseas is that. While supporters and fans be passionate about their club and and, and their players when the game's on, when it's done and dusted, they just want to talk about how the game worked, not Mm. so much about any lingering issues, lingering frustration. So I was never really, you know, ever uh, made to feel sort of, you know, uncomfortable. The other
1: half of your life or three quarters of your life, what'd you do for a job back then? The
2: same company I'm sort of working with at the moment, believe it or not. So I've always worked uh, full time and and I know that that's always been a... A subject that comes up from time to time about you know the with demands on umpiring you know why don't we make it full-time and certainly when i first started you know uh, back in the 90s the amount of contact you had to have was pretty minimal but i guess as clubs got full-time clubs were using their players you know six days a week they wanted access to umpires you know clubs then we tr- started to train, you know, um, during the day. You know, I can remember very, very early in, in the career, you know, when Fitzroy were training down here at uh, Lakeside Oval. You know, the training there would start at six o'clock at night, one or two floodlights on. You know, Lakeside Oval, not the greatest type mm-hmm. of conditions. But as, as clubs then moved to that full time training during the day, um, they just needed access to more umpires. And I know that's where where the conversation's gone about. You know, if you have full time umpires, then they can be made available to the clubs during the time that they need them. But I've always found that to have something outside of football is really good. I was going to ask you, where do you sit with it? So, I mean, um, should they be? Should they not be? No, I wouldn't even entertain the idea. Look, I I know there's some guys that that are at the moment probably source most of their income through umpiring, um, but so long as you've got something there that really takes you away from it, because a week's a long time... Between opportunities and and if you have something that's a, a bit you know a bit, bit of a, a scratchy effort on the weekend you know that can hang on you days and days and days but I always found getting back into into an office environment and getting back into a professional environment let me just park all that stuff.
1: So uh, what is your office environment? What? what is your profession? Yeah, so
2: I uh, I work for a mining company. Uh, it's a privately owned uh, global company, so based in North America. So I'm a I sort of manage risk and uh, quality assurance. Okay. So I've been with that with that business in. Different ways, shapes, or forms for about twenty-five years. So, so things have been pretty stable. You know, I umpired for about twenty-six, worked for for this business for um, that length of time as well. Make no mistake, there were times where I had to be in two places at once because, um, you know, d- despite the different conversations I would have with our geologists about trying to find a mine site with a with with, with, a, with a CBD postcode uh, they could never kind of find one so but you just worked out where you needed to be and look I was very fortunate that both my secular uh, employers all them and the AFL were quite understanding and appreciative that there were times where you had to, had to make a choice and sometimes you, you jumped the work way sometimes you jump the football way uh, but it was always always uh, supported
1: this is a personal question but i hope there's a way to answer this without making it specific to you i mean what does an afl umpire get paid
2: i mean well, yeah, roughly no, it's okay um I, I think it's one of the more curious sort of uh, questions that, that that come up and i think that's the thing that that talks about well, why people have talked about full-time because it's certainly a full-time salary so right every umpire is on a one-year contract so i was i was on a one-year contract every year for for twenty six years, so every single one, every and single it's one. renewed at the end of the year. Uh, yeah, hopefully, or, hopefully yeah, yeah. <laughs> or reviewed and renewed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there is a you know continuity of employment, but it's it's not as you know as uh, drastic as that. But mechanisms uh, in that contract which was negotiated over like, you know, it'd be a three or five year type of EBA agreement. If I think about where the guys would be coming to this year, you know, uh, CPI is a pretty good inclusion in most contracts, perhaps for the last 20 years mm. <laughs> hasn't really been mm. that, that effective, but where, where inflation is now, I would expected a first year guy to be on a six figure salary now. And, and that could
1: range anywhere up to, I mean, what would the so top I, earners?
2: Yeah, I, I would think the top earners and let's, talk about those guys that get the grand final because it yep. means they have umpired each week of the finals and they've got their bonuses and a match payment for the grand final of course that, that'd be a, uh, very close to 200
1: yeah right okay yeah,
2: so it's just a great yeah. opportunity and you know i mean
1: uh, i know that that's
2: what it's like at the elite level but but to be honest with you you know i just started in country victoria and you know i just love my footy and you just don't know where it can take you
1: we'll come back to that i i, I don't feel too dirty now asking you who you grew up barracking for, but who did you barrack for? Look, or do you allow to answer that even uh, now? Look, some people, some past umpires still
2: feel a bit awkward about yeah, it. Yeah, fair enough. I, I don't. There's a reason why I'll, I'll say it. Look, obviously, you know, all umpires love football. You know, I mean, it's not like yeah, it's not yeah. like you were the one kid in, in the yeah. playground, at, you know, at the age of ten or eleven, we're saying, saying yeah. "Why don't I feel like I'm yeah. buried for a team? Oh my God, I <laughs> yeah. must, I must be an umpire." Um, Carl, I went to a um, a school taught by Catholic nuns, and uh, and we had one uh, a Sister Patricia. There's a very funny story about Sister Patricia that I might tell a bit later. It was a rabid Carlton supporter, so half the half the classes I can recall were Carlton supporters. But the reason why I don't mind uh, sharing that. Sam, is because there's always been that, you know, that that under, undertone uh, in the public. Oh, you know, the umpires wearing, you know, black and white jocks. You know, he's got, you know, he's, he's got the Colony of Guernsey underneath. Uh-huh. I just say, listen, ask any current supporter what the success has been like from from ninety four to two thousand nineteen yeah and if that is not evidence or proof that yeah. umpires have no influence <laughs> on games or outcomes of games then
1: I don't I don't know what is is it almost like you guys take a vow when you come in and you just strip yourself of all you just feel that's another life that you've parked and forgotten and and you just completely disassociate yourself as it's as simple as that isn't it? it's all about being professional
2: it's a good question yeah, ultimately it is but when you first come on the list you've been watching AFL football and now you are I'm um, pouring a So I, reflecting personally, um, I guess the first few years you might be just a little bit—I won't say starstruck—but you are quite in awe and a bit and very respectful of these players. But as you get a little bit older, players start getting a little bit younger, <laughs> and you realise that ultimately they're just normal people that have an extraordinary skill and opportunity display that Uh, that sense of sort of you know i see you on tv therefore you know i act differently that that dissipates really really and in the end the one thing do end end up doing is probably just end up having different personal relations with different different mm. players from different clubs just guys you get along with you know yep. if there's an overseas trip somewhere or a national rules trip somewhere or, or whatever you find yourself in in, yeah. in the same space and you get to know each other
1: better You're listening to This Is Your Journey it's all thanks to Tobin Brothers that family owned business since 1934 so raised in Ballarat as the eldest of five Shane McInerney pursues a playing career before umpiring captures his attention Hello, it's great to have your company on. This is your journey. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers at Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're chatting to former AFL umpire Shane McInerney. So, Shane, have I got this right? Two younger brothers, two younger sisters. Were you a set of sporting siblings?
2: In our own way, yeah. Yep. Look, being the eldest is always hard work and uh, a lot of responsibility.
1: Eldest gets all the new stuff and then the hand-me-downs
2: <sighs> beyond. <laughs> well, that didn't last too long because right. uh, both my... Younger brothers ended up being about six foot one, right? Uh, and playing football. Uh, I was more your um, your racket sports, your tennis and so forth. That's where I sort of spent most of my my summer days, I guess, on the tennis
1: court. But you played your footy in the winter months, so some Pats, Ballarat, YCW played with YCW,
2: yep, um, up until with the un- under fourteen stage, and just worked out that. I just, I loved footy, but perhaps footy didn't love me. Why
1: is that? Why, that's a young age to discover that. What I can recall,
2: I didn't like the training, which is rather ironic.
1: It is, because weren't you known for your your endurance and your tank
2: and your well, running? That's what umpiring actually ended up acquiring of yeah. me. Uh, but at the time, look, I don't know. Look, it, it just, I, I, whether it was the football environment, I'm, I'm not sure. But yeah. it, it just wasn't kind of for me. I just worked, look, obviously my friends played. They encouraged me to, you know, get down there. Played, you know, yes, a bit of school footy. The very first game I played, which was at my primary school. I, they stuck me at full forward. I have no idea. We won ten four sixty four to about one goal. I kicked five goals too. Yeah. So I don't know whether that was just—I I think that was my
1: my football <laughs> zenith. I think after no, that was you peaked. <laughs> <laughs> you I peaked did. early. Well, well, it's funny. So obviously you played the game at some level. I mean, nowadays we've seen a few former AFL players, professionals, turn their mind to umpiring. I mean, is it is it even accurate to assume former players are just going to be good umpires, or is there a lot more to it than that?
2: Uh, I I think if you speak to them, and and certainly you know in my time with uh, you know Mark Fraser being. Uh, Pioneer to it, Lee Fisher, John Bannister, of course, who uh, got to umpire final, and same with Fish. I think if you ask them, it's a it's a massive transition, like even just their body shapes. Like I can remember particularly Lee Fisher, you know, coming out of St Kilda, he was 100 kilos, yeah. and we're asking him to say, Here, off you go for a 10k time trial, you know, so think. From a physical point of view, um, difficult and or certainly challenging. But I just think what they would tell me is that, you know, even just learning to umpire because they would run to where the ball would drop, not to being positioned positioned properly Mm. to adjudicate on a contest and on a decision so uh, they want a massive steep learning curve but I think that look I, I can understand the idea you know oh to play the game they know all the rules and well you know what players don't know all the rules actually mm. and they don't know all the little nuances and subtleties ar- around things. I mean yes they've got that pressure experience absolutely I mean they know what it's like to, to have to perform at the elite level but umpiring is a very different type of um, pursuit and it's, it's not for everyone I guess but I think you know certainly people have played the game and wanting to then you know give something back through you know country and suburban leagues absolutely i yeah. i think there's 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 great great opportunity there but at the afl level to come into the umpiring system when when you're footy career is pretty over which might be 26, 27 you know these are guys who have been prime since they were about 16 or 17 it's it's a pretty challenging goal that, that, that we set these guys but the ones that, that have accepted it have just thrown themselves into it and I'm sure you know, without putting words in the mouth it's been a, a really rewarding experience
1: So you hang up your boots up there in Ballarat you know in your mid-teens um, what was it that actually got you across for your first game with the whistle was it a bit of pocket money did you have a mate doing it I mean how did it come about Yeah all, all those things yeah. actually
2: I think uh, you know you get to an age where you want to start going out socially. Mum and dad will only finance so much, which is fair enough. The options of you know part-time employment, uh, as you can imagine, back in the day, you know, stacking supermarket shelves yeah, really yes. wasn't gonna you know do it for me. And I had a, a mate that was umpiring, and I think you know on a weekend he'd pick up fifty or sixty bucks on. Like, Gee, that yeah. back in the day, that's that that's, is that's good money, yeah. Plenty. And I knew I I enjoyed physical activity and stuff, you know, whether it's through my tennis or whatever. And, and I knew I could, you know, there was
1: opportunity there to sort of run a bit.
2: I got involved and...
1: How old were you? I was 16. So at 16, I mean, was it nerve-wracking? I mean, as a player, you're one of whatever it was then, 20 or 22 these days. As an umpire back then, you'd have been on your own for one of two.
2: Yeah, first few games, you sort of shadow someone just to try and get to know where to, to move and stuff. And, and and I know there's been a lot of publicity, you know, over, over many years about bad match day experiences for young umpires and and, and, and that happened. I think I was fortunate. I never had a bad match day experience. I I, I was never intimidated. I never felt felt unsafe. I just loved the environment. Yeah right and it was it was a it was a good release on the weekend. I I I will say and I I, look I spent three years in the Ballarat Football League starting and look without giving myself too much of a leak, finished the third year umpire in the Ballarat senior league grand final at the age of eighteen. But I had a great coach, Phil Waite. Yeah, who uh, some of your listeners might uh, associate that mm. name with another event that happened down at the Lakeside Oval. Oh where, yeah, yeah. Um, the infamous, yeah, yeah, the infamous, yeah, uh, infamous issue with um, a the player, yeah, mm. in the um, reserve grade game. So, but he was um, he was incredibly supportive and just gave me, just was very positive
1: and gave me a, a heap of confidence. So, because we, we spend so much time talking about player pathways, I mean, what about umpiring pathways? Have they changed significantly for the better, or is it your understanding is there still some significant work to be done?
2: Well, I know my pathway, it was really my coach just getting in touch you know, dialing up the the, v, the VFL then and say hey because um, there, there, there were umpiring scouts if that's what you, what you want to call yeah. it so I think it was you know each each league would, would have its, its umpiring group and then from time to time there'd be someone from the VFL that would come out and you know watch a game and then based off their assessment whether there might be opportunities going forward and, you know in, in my case I didn't feel like they wanted to go all the way to Ballarat so I did a game back at Smarsh but that was a positive experience and then, and then later that year I got an invitation to come down and umpire the AFL under 19s so and that's when they then had a bit more of a look at you. But I was mm. still tied with Ballarat. But at the end, end of my last season there, there was an invitation to, to come down. Try that for the development squad, which was being managed by uh, another past umpire by the name of Glenn James. That I'm sure most of, mm. uh, most people are familiar with
1: so, more recent times, I mean, the AFL's acknowledged the shortage of umpires across the country. I think they even put a number on it saying something like 6,000 fewer than what they would actually need or want. I mean, anecdotally, you do hear many things around the traps. I mean, what what do you, what things do you sort of hear around uh, umpires and availability and the shortage perhaps thereof? That number's probably
2: pretty true. I mean, we understand how the game is growing in popularity, particularly with the advent of female teams. Yep. So, and look, all all types of resources are really sort of, you know, under the punch there, not, not just sort of umpiring, but, you know, ground availability, change rooms, et cetera, et cetera. But, but certainly from what I hear from uh, a lot of the suburban leagues that, yeah, you know, umpiring is a difficult one to sort of do. I mean, I, I think people have always been attracted to umpiring, but it's all about taining it. And, and, and I know, you know... It was probably about the uh, start of last year that the AFL came forward with a, what I guess a lot of critics consider to be a very harsh player the, the descent role. type uh, mm. type of uh, interpretation. But, of course, that was done to, to set that message from the highest level that what would and wouldn't be, be tolerated with that flow-on effect there because that was the feedback that uh, a lot of uh, investigation was mm. doing, was finalists and people are attracted to it, but it's the match day experience that... Uh, it scares them away.
1: Arms out, come with me, it was a phrase we remember pretty well from the parts <laughs> of last year. Um, you don't still umpire, do you, at all, do you? No. Right. No, Sam. Uh, I only from from the
2: most comfortable decision making <laughs> position known to mankind, and that's the couch. That's the one we all know
1: and <laughs> <laughs> we all love. Uh, you with this is your journey. It's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives. You can find them online, of course, TobinBrothers.com.au. So Shane McInerney, as you heard, progressed pretty quickly through the country footy umpiring ranks. His graduation to the top level and what awaited him is up next. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Today's guest is the record holder for the most games umpired, Shane McInerney. So Shane, round six, 1994. It is admittedly a very long time ago, but it's also when you made your AFL debut. It's Carlton at Sydney, it's at Princess Park. You're alongside some names listeners will know, Peter Carey, Brett Allen. Is there anything at all that comes to mind when I mention the round and the year that that you recall? When it's your first game, uh, one of the things that uh, I do still hold...
2: uh, Quite clearly, you get the opportunity to have the first bounce. High pressure. Back in those days, there probably was there was probably only one TV camera at the ground. You know, it's not like the completely sort of saturated media that we've got. And, you know, it would have been the old scoreboard with the you know, no electronic scoreboards, no no replays, just thirty thousand, no microphones, just thirty thousand people watching. <laughs> That's right? it. right. Yeah. Okay. And look, uh, I, I, and I guess for me, you know, that to get uh, appointed to your first AFL game. Uh, was probably you know the realization of a number of years' goals and ambitions and trials and tribulations. Exciting, yeah, exciting. Um, and look, you know, I, I, it's 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 a little bit awkward to say this, but I'm, I'm I'm happy to share it that you know I sort of held the ball up, and so went, and I just said to myself, I've made it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well,
1: that's good. I mean, well, you worked so hard. You got yeah, to enjoy look, it a the way.
2: I did. I, I I guess so. That then that's you know that obviously didn't know where where the career would uh, hmm. would end up, but but it obviously was a an important time. I mean. And look, whilst personally a great sense of satisfaction, it's all your family and your friends that have sort of watched you from a younger age, you know, do all that training, you know, get up early in the morning, you know, uh, not go to parties on weekends. Like, do you know how many parties there are when yeah. you're 18 and 19-year-old in a university, Sam? I do. Yeah, do. I was there once. Do you <laughs> know how, how many you have to say no to? Yeah. So, which was never I, – look, I never saw that as a, a sacrifice per se because I I wanted to be where – you know, I, I was where I wanted to be. And if that was training or whatever, then then so be it. So I, I think it was more for those around me that probably got a – a bigger kick out of it just to see perhaps the reward for effort, um, self-belief. And I know it doesn't sound, you know, too dramatic to move from country Victoria to Melbourne but it does have its own sort of challenges
1: when you don't know anyone down
2: here and you're moving into a you know a bit more of a hectic lifestyle and
1: yeah also well, some big names running around particularly in the navy blue at that in at that time and players speak often of uh, I guess the speed of the game when they make their their debut what were your first impressions of an um, as an umpire was the same thing that's a really good question actually
2: Sam because that was the other thought there were, there were two thoughts I had one was obviously staying in the game and the other was oh my god this is so quick I can't actually I can't actually even think about what I'm doing I'm just gonna go with it so uh, and and I recall that only because certainly uh, our our field umpire coach at the time David Levins asked, asked us to reflect on what our first games were like. So we actually had to sort of really articulate exactly what that experience was. So um, and then that was one of the things that uh, that certainly just surprised me. I mean, yes, we always talk about yes, I know speed of the game, but as you jump up to different levels, yeah, it's that's yeah. That, that's where the challenge is. Is to be able to think just as clearly and to be composed and you know not completely you know make too many mistakes because you feel like you're under pressure. But that's the challenge.
1: So did you nail that first bounce? In my mind, I did. (laughs) Okay. Well, if you can't remember it, then you probably did. Like, I suppose if it went at right angles, you'd remember it. Well, and the good thing is there's no TV. No. Uh, Well, I think there is one. There is a couple of cameras, but yeah. Because the centre bounce nowadays is a regular topic of debate, mm. isn't it, in terms of whether it should remain in the game or not? Mm. I mean, do you have a passionate view on it one way or the other?
2: Look, I do actually. In fact, it was a view that I shared with the commission after I retired. So they were very, very kind and invited me along to the um, mm. uh, to address the commission and uh, senior executive team at, um, at AFL House. And I didn't know how many people could fit in a room, actually. There was a lot of people there. So, But that was one of the things that I certainly did have a strong view on with the commission around retaining the bounce. Right. I think... Um, I think, you know, to take the move away from uh, removing the bounce around the ground, you know, to throwing up that, that happened, you know, a number of years ago, I think that, that made sense because it, uh, it allowed to the, for the game to be continued straight away, wasn't too much of a delay, didn't then lead to, to additional stoppages. But my, my feeling around the centre bounce is that I actually think it goes hand in hand with uh, supporting ruck work because every umpire bounces different. They have, you know, whether it's a show a bactar type of run up or whether
1: it's, you know, <laughs> right. So there's license to do that then? Absolutely. Because right. it's your skill that you
2: have to execute. So there's no, right. Everyone takes four steps and everyone doesn't know because you've all got your own techniques. You've all got your own biomechanics. You've all got your, and whether it's someone like, you know, like a, a Brett Rosebury or a Matt Nichols that can put the ball into orbit. Or whether it's, you know, a colleague of yours here on this radio station that probably just gets it over a jam jar. Yeah. And I wasn't one of the highest bouncers either, so I'm not I'm not taking pot shots here. Yeah. But, but can
1: you be in good bouncing form and bad bouncing form? Most definitely. Yeah.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a lot of stages in my career. Well, not a lot, but I, 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 there'd be times where you just had the yips. You know, we we talked about a ticket hand grenade. That's what it felt like, you know, and it's it certainly did impact Sometimes your performance is on the ground because you'd, you'd almost try and position yourself so that you didn't have to do a bounce at, at, at times. And yeah. that, that wasn't great for the team no. team aspect. But then there were times where it's like, you know, I could it, this could be the side of a hill and it's still going up straight.
1: But so what? that's good. But So what do you say to people who argue the other way? And you're strong on retaining it. Others who say, well, really good decision makers have been lost to the game. You know, the anxiety at... at, at that falls on umpires who are having a bad time or just can't nail it. I mean, is that is that and is that true? Have we lost good umpires who can't bounce it?
2: Look, there's probably been some good umpires that haven't been able to you know, stay the course. But I think that's the mm. that's That's your lot, yep. You know, I mean, how many good players have been out there that, that weren't fast enough or, or or couldn't, you know, execute mm. a kick, mm. you know, predictably enough. But the point about retain the bounce, as I said, is that, you know, it, it differentiates out who the good ruckmen are, okay, because the good ruckmen, you know, and perhaps it happens more nowadays than, than than early days, but early days, you know, one or two, the, the key ruckman would come in and he'd watch each of the two or three f- umpires, whoever it was, watch their approach, see how high they'd bounce, and they would actually, you know, study what was going on. Because as I said, ball goes to different heights, there's different levels. So, you know, different approaches, different executions. And and the ruckman needed to adjust to that. And I I think it differentiates the really good ruckman from alternatively you have the ball thrown up to the same height on each and, and every occasion after a goal. And then I reckon it does become a bit of a you know, you just end up getting the tallest guy wins the tap out. Yeah. Whereas at, at the moment, you don't need to be, you know, the the highest leaping ruckman necessarily. You just need to be able to get that timing right.
1: So obviously, you hope it survives, but do you think it will? If you got your crystal ball out, you think I it's think here it for will. Yeah,
2: I, I just think it's one of those. And look, I, I get it that we're officials, and why why do officials need to execute a skill? I, I get that, but I also get that that's the nature of mm. our game. In fact, look, you know, a little bit of a fun fact, and for any sort of football historian uh, out there, but the bounce came in to actually be unpredictable. So when when this game started how many, you know, over yeah. 120 30 years ago. The idea of the bounce was because obviously it was caused by congestional players so how do you break up a congestional players throw the ball as hard you can in the ground and had it just take off in a random direction and that gets the play going you know that's that's how it came in but we get where football's at, at today and, and whether it's the aesthetics of it or not we want things to look nice and straight and so forth and to give everyone a, a fair uh, opportunity but I, I just think that it's one of the things that makes this game really unique and, and I know the guys uh, are, are aware of that responsibility they practice incredibly hard there's a lot of resources to getting it right and I would say now that you know I don't think that you w- we'd find many good umpires lost to football okay. because of bouncing now. I just think that the right sort of coaching and the right sort of focus
1: is where it needs to be now. So obviously, with the whistle, you get older, you get wiser, you get you know more hardened, if you like. You're like a player, but early on, we tested by the players verbally. Players are very good at working out who the
2: most, who the youngest guy out out there is, and and that's just what the game's about. I'm sure, you know, the players also, it's, nothing personal you know I'm sure they're the same with opposition players they know that who they can you know impose themselves on and look I'm and and that's all I would call it impose themselves just to just to create some sort of uncertainty or if you've got your key players you know I mean everyone's looking for some sort of uh, advantage and I just think that that's probably one of the things that you just have to deal with
1: so no names what are we talking about you know back to the bush next week for you mate that was a shocker we we won't see you again what's going on or yeah pretty much yeah
2: (laughs) All, all the above now. And look, it's, it's a really, it's, it's, it's a good question, Sam, because in in the early days of umpiring, you know, that was one of the things that probably distracted me the most. I'd I'd be thinking about what my comeback lines would be, right? So any young umpire over there, just focus on the rules. But I was thinking about what some comeback lines would be when I was challenged, because I, I felt like I had to earn my spot out there. And the players major earn your spot. Now, it wasn't so much having the last word per se, but it was showing that you could stick up for yourself.
1: So, how did the verbal change over time from player to player, player to umpire? Voice, did there become more of it? Did they become less of it? Is the game too fast now? How did you? Would you? Would you compare from the start to the end? Oh, absolutely, and on technology because all the umpires have, are mic'd up. So that's put the muzzle on the players to some degree, would you yeah, say? Yeah, 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 right.
2: But but that's not the only reason. I mean, yes, mm. the speed of the game. You know, they've got a role to to play and you know argue with the umpire. I'm sure that you know whilst the coaches. You know, cameras always flick to the coach's box after a decision, and there's a sort of expression of frustration. The players don't let get to them either. I mean, that's for the coach to do perhaps, So, but the players don't get as animated as uh, as, as what we see perhaps in, in the coaches' backs from time to time. But look, early days, uh, it, it was a bit of a free-for-all. That was how the game was played. It was about imposing yourself on on, on everyone out there as, yeah. as, as, as a player and so forth. And it goes without saying that perhaps what was said then wouldn't be acceptable in today's day and age, which is good.
1: I'm sure there were players you got along well with and others that you just never quite clicked with them, no matter what you or they tried. I mean, building relationships with players though, I mean, how important? Do you think that was and and still is? Um, as you get a bit older, absolutely it
2: is. Uh, I think uh, you know everyone's out there to try and do the best job they can. Um, it's a fine line, though. I mean you don't look I would never had it wasn't like any player asked invite me around their place for no, I'm, no, I'm, dinner one I'll, night yeah. or no I'm uh, speaking on field yeah. or, or anything like that you had a, a, a healthy respect for each other and, yeah. and, and, and you know you you would agree to disagree at, at, at times but but you knew that you know what each other was saying there was no sort of undercurrent to it there wasn't any sort of angle to it it was mm-hmm. listen I reckon you might have got that one, one wrong and, and look I always felt at times you had to admit to it as well sometimes they yeah look I reckon I might have jumped the other,
1: perhaps I should have jumped the other way but And coaches could say more than obviously what they can now. Did you ever find yourself driving home or picking up the paper the next day? He said, what? Dennis
2: Pagan referred to one of my bouncers after a game. I think they were playing Colleen or Hawthorne or someone at at the MCG, and uh,
1: I think they were, they must have lost by five points or something. Oh, and there was a centre bounce that went... Oh, my God, how's yeah. your
2: memory? at right angles? No, 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 no. Not, not one of no, those? No,
1: that was not me, no. no. That, that, that was the... No, <laughs> that came to mind, that, sorry. That, no, that,
2: innocent, that, okay. In, innocent, no. Uh, he referred to a, to a bounce of mine as a chicken little. Right. As it was a, obviously an important bounce. Well, look, any game towards any... Passage of play that's getting towards the end of the game is always magnified, and obviously the Kangas greatly. didn't benefit. And I don't think the Kangas, but I, but having said that though, it wasn't a, it, it wasn't no not the one you're referring to. I know the one that you're. What was referring that game? To. I can't remember. Yeah, it was North Melbourne Collingwood, right? Yeah, on, right at the end on a Friday night. Yeah. it was round four because uh, round five Collingwood were playing us, and the following week in an ANZAC Day game, and Collingwood came out of it the worst And I actually had the centre bounce to start the game right. that uh, the following week, and there was a bit of a Bronx cheer. It did go straight, <laughs> which is all right, but it was
1: a bit of a Bronx cheer, It did come so. to mind. Uh, we're talking to Shane McInerney earlier. This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral, Celebrating Lives. We'll discuss Shane's, well, his best and his worst decisions, grand finals and a little bit more after
0: this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
1: It's been great to have you company here on This Is Your Journey, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Former AFL umpire Shane McInerney has been our fascinating guest today. Shane, we were speaking before the break, I guess, about your interaction with players, and you mentioned the wiring of field umpires for sound. When did that come in? And I guess, how big of a jolt was that for you and your contemporaries at the time?
2: Uh, It was a very big change of behaviour for us. Look, it came in, I'm going to say, it probably came in about the mid-2000s, right. I, I think, for, you know, with the different media rights deals, different TV deals, um, you know, whether what we see in North America with officials being mic'd up, etc. So I can't
1: remember, was it TV-driven or AFL-driven? It was TV more TV-driven, driven. yeah.
2: It was it was TV-driven, but the umpiring department and the umpiring group realized this is fantastic because now we can coach on communication yeah because up until then you were really coaching on You're decision making and yep. and you know there's a story from very early on in, in my career i was in emergency uh at uh, a uh, hawthorne were were playing st Kilda, um during berrin was was carrying on at uh center half forward and throwing st Kilda players over his shoulder and imposing himself and as an emergency he had to Bang! Get out there. And the message then was: when you cross the line, you gave a message. You didn't get halfway out and, and come back. So um, it's about a hundred metre run. I'm running out there and thinking: what do you tell a five time day, five time no, Premiership player uh, uh, to settle down? So I ran out there. I've said: settle down. <laughs> And he just looked at me and said, get back in your box. I thought, that's pretty good advice. So I have got off the ground. Anyway, after after the game, the, the match day observer said, listen, what did you talk? What did you say to him? Because you settled things down really well. I said, oh, you need to get on with the game. I just made stuff up. Now, when the microphones came in, you can't make stuff up, right? Like after the event, you're always really wise after the event. But when yeah. you're in the moment... And pressure's on. Sometimes you want to ensure that you composed enough to deliver the message that you want to do. And certainly microphones, yes, it was TV-driven, so the AFL could get additional revenue because ultimately the product, if that's what we want to call it, was suddenly a lot more attractive because people at home could start hearing the sounds of the game So And so for the umpiring group, oh, yeah, for some people in particular, you know, like you know, the Darren Goldspinks of this world and so forth that were went backwards and coming forwards, that needed to be moderated a bit. And, you know, it, as that as that exposure moved on, you know, the TV companies got got pretty clever as to whose mic they would turn up and whose mic they would turn down I know there's a you know a, a contributor to this network uh, who, who is well well known for, for having something to say on the football field but, yeah, we but, love but it. but, but, but and, and in his defense though you know his mic is turned up and the other ones are, are turned down mm. but but the, the group also appreciate because we could actually communicate and talk to each other as as a small team as well, and the better that we could communicate, the better that we could officiate and uh, administer the game as well. So it, it was a good development, but early days it was like you know who else has a microphone in their office at their workplace yeah. that their boss can listen to whenever they want. So there's a, a there was a bit of uh, angst around it, but once we worked out that listen, there's actually a you know, some beneficial in this, um, both individually and as a group. Then we became a bit more relaxed with it.
1: How many field umpires should we have? I mean, there's talk of four next year. I'm, depending on what you read, there's even talk of six in the years to come. However, that's possible. Three's been in place for a long time. I mean, do you have a, a strong belief one way or the other? My
2: only belief is that I think you end up chasing your tail. Yeah. You know, I was there communication when, we must from, be from, from. Well, we went from t- two to three, and now we want to go from from three to four. And and I was probably the certainly the beneficiary of there being three umpires because i got umpire certainly extended my career but it only works if you can have your best umpires umpiring more so it's going to be interesting season coming up because they've had to bring in 10 new field umpires so to be able to you know supply four field umpires for each game Um, you know the list has gone from what was around 32 34 give or take to to well over, over 40 so you're gonna have if if anything you know if you look at it analytically it almost dilutes your best decision makers what was one of three he's now you know doing 33 percent of the work he's now gonna be doing 25 percent. he's work.
1: making less decisions yeah
2: so i think you know if, if four's the number and, and i can understand why they might want four because i, I absolutely agree that you know umpiring is you know, by being able to be involved in more games you just learn more you see more get to handle situations better because you've experienced them before and to ensure that you don't lose that skill try and keep them as long as you can you just got to use them more mm. and, and I just think it's going to be an interesting season where you've got as I said you know, 10, 10 guys that haven't umpired a, a senior AFL game and now going to be part of of the group next year. So that's going to be a really really big challenge for everyone involved. So yes, uh, I'm, I'm sort of dancing around your question, but the answer is yes, but it's yes, have four. But you really need to be you know, having your top guys doing at least perhaps four games every three weeks. I don't know, it it, it just can't, I, I just think you're chasing your tail with inexperience by only having your best guys umpire for one game each weekend. Alright,
1: you've umpired 502 games so it's almost an impossibly difficult question to answer but you've mentioned Tyson Stengline a couple of times already so I think I know where this one's going. You might want to start with the decision you'd love to go back in time and change or the one that you you, you recall that you, you nailed under pressure. What one do you want to start? Tyson or the good one? I'll start with Tyson. We'll just Rip that band aid off. Take the band aid off. Look, um uh, look, I only reflect on that. It was it was a
2: qualifying final, you know, Sydney West Coast. So, you know, in, in, in the mid two thousands, Sydney West Coast was the big was the big rivalry, you know. They they were great games and
1: every decision vital. It was and,
2: mm-hmm. and on this case Subiaco um you know Sydney were uh, were leading and of course you know Sydney haven't won a f- hadn't won a premiership since 1930 yep. 72 years was it yeah it was, so you know they were on a strong push and anyway playing you know West Coast Eagles in Perth is a, is a massively tall order. They were winning the game and look, I got involved in, in a decision so if there's one that I, I could have taken back that would be it and not just because of that game because it undid a really great season. I, I was, uh, I'd was i been selected to represent uh, AFL umpiring at the International Rules carnival that, that was going to be played later that year with, with Australia and Ireland so you know you're a- around the mark if you're getting those type of opportunities so, and look Leo Barry who became a star a few weeks later <laughs> yeah. um, was um, M- manning a mark and the, watching his the opponent the Moved, moved off his line, stingline came in, I, I, I thought Leo Barry had gone and blocked stingline and, you know, knocked him off his line. Seven at
0: the footy and a three. Yeah. This is controversial, Mr. I reckon the Eagles player was running towards the Sydney man on the mark. We'll see it later, but Stenglein, he gets the free kick. Well, that is controversial, to say the least. Stendline has got it. Is this a turning point in the match? Tyson Stendline. a controversial free kick from right on 50, has kicked the goal! Yes, he has! This is a controversial decision. Leo Barry running to get past the man on the mark, Stenglein, the man on the mark, takes a step in his line I reckon the umpire's got it wrong Deputy, I reckon
2: the umpire's got it wrong Why? Um, I, and look, I, I had no doubt at the time, the decision, yeah. so yeah. so yeah. When, when the coach came in with a very you know, ashen-looking face, I thought, uh-oh, this isn't this isn't going to be great. I spent the rest of that evening, actually, by myself at Subiaco Hotel, where I came across um, a couple of fellas by the name of David King and uh, and we just had a drink about it all and reflected on it all and they end up uh, paying for my cab cab ride home. And I think they, they had a radio show that next next week where they, they were going to back me and support me and say, no, look, you know, it's not as bad as it was and et cetera, et cetera. But that didn't fly. You know, sometimes media pressure might, you know, come to bear on those type yeah. of selection things, but that, that didn't fly. In fact, I, was, I think I saw Kingy the, the next year. He was working as an assistant coach at uh, Richmond and I uh, just popped my head in and said, look, thanks for nothing last year, mate. Planned <laughs> didn't work. But, but look, yep. that's, and look, uh, in itself, uh, and look, obviously West Coast came back to win that particular game so Sydney then had to play you know, make their way and that's I think the second week that's where they had that great game against Geelong where they came from the clouds yeah. uh, to win and uh, and then yeah, win the grand final by a point oh. so I think everything happens for a bit of a reason and,
1: and and obviously given the fact you went for as long as you did thankfully those decisions were in the in the very 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 minor end, the minority what what about the one that you that you held up that you maybe the stakes were just as high the pressure was on and you you, you nailed it and you look back on it, and you thought yep thank goodness we did look,
2: that the, the one that's out, And it stands out mainly because Patrick Smith, journalist at The Australian, wrote an extraordinary article, actually, the following day. And uh, the, the game involved, it was a, a semi-final between Collingwood and Adelaide at the MCG. Collingwood were down by about 29 points at quarter time and, um, and a, a young fella... By the name...
1: Was it Jack Anthony's Jack name? Anthony, yeah. yeah.
2: By the name of Jack Anthony and Ben Rutten. Um, was able to play a, a hold and free kick that, you know, for all intents and purposes, probably in the broadcast, wasn't visible because it was sort of off the ball a bit. Oh, oh, oh,
0: oh, oh, <laughs> it's a hold free kick to Cumberwood. Oh, God!
2: Back his way. held.
0: Jack Anthony. Where was the free? Yeah, Rutten held
1: him. It was a great call, I reckon.
0: Hope in his heart, dreams in his head, Jack Anthony, he's done it!
2: But it was a critical and pivotal stage of the game, and and more importantly, it it was right. Hmm. But look, he's then gone back, kicked the goal, 20 seconds later, Colin Witter into a prelim. But Patrick Smith wrote uh, an extraordinary article just around, around how I would have been feeling. So he... Sort of, I'd never spoke to him before he wrote the article. He, he wrote the article about me in that decision. That mm. was something I hadn't never seen before. I don't think uh, any of my colleagues had sort of read before, and it was ex- it was just uh, extraordinarily humbling. Um, a journalist of that of that calibre to write that particular um,
1: particular article. So you umpired. We're nearly out of time here. 2004 Grand Final, which was uh, which was a historic one in some ways because Brisbane were going for four in a row and they were stopped by uh, Port Adelaide. And then 2007, you're back for Geelong and Port Adelaide. So I imagine these are the the moments that you look back on with great with great finals. Oh yeah,
2: obviously. I mean, yeah. the, the culmination. Of, if I was saying to myself after the first game, I've made it. Well, then, absolutely for the grand final. That's that's the absolute absolute pinnacle. And yeah, the two thousand four Brisbane looking for four in a row. Port Adelaide obviously ended up winning their first. People recall Choco, he yeah. yeah. was you know <laughs> pulling up his necktie. And, and are they chokers? Aren't they chokers? Because the previous few years had been very frustrating for for Port Adelaide supporters. And then yeah, two thousand seven. What should have been a great game for the Port. A couple of weeks before, and knocked off Geelong down yep. down at. Uh, Along, then got smashed. Uh, yeah, just didn't didn't turn up.
1: Shane McInerney, thanks so much for joining us today. I mean, in a business as ruthless as we said, and as scrutinised as AFL umpiring is, to do it for as long as you did is testament to your professionalism and your ability. 502 times you took charge of a game, and many people describe as one of the most difficult in the world to officiate. Congratulations on a fantastic career, and and thanks again for sharing it with us today.
2: Look, Sam, it's been an absolute pleasure. And
1: thanks for joining us as well. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives. You can jump on online find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting Journey